Hey there and good morning everyone. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 13 of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. I'm Ryan Wolt and this is the show where I bring you the stories of coffee professionals, entrepreneurship, and coffee education. Today's guest is John Pearson. He's the founder of Servant Coffee in Denver, Colorado. He's also an unlikely entrepreneur who at one point actually made a promise that he wouldn't start his own business. In today's conversation, we're going to cover that, how he made the career move from a big corporate energy company to the coffee industry, the value of travel, and how in entrepreneurship and, frankly, life, things often don't go as planned. John was kind enough to send me a few bags of coffee, and the best compliment I can give any coffee roaster is that when I try it, I want to share it with my own coffee-loving, often coffee-roasting friends, which is exactly what I did after I first enjoyed Servant's Honey Process Bolivia coffee while editing this show. Unfortunately, I'm all out of that. So while you're listening to the interview, I'll be online at ServantCoffee.com ordering more coffee. And I hope that wherever you are listening, be it for the coffee or for the inspirational entrepreneurial stories, you have a cup of your own roasted craft coffee that is so good, so tasty, that you want to share it with your friends too. Enjoy that cup and enjoy this conversation with John Pearson, founder of Servant Coffee. Okay, sounds good. Thanks for having me. No, thanks for being here. Uh, welcome to the show, the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. I always forget to say that at the beginning. If you wouldn't mind, uh, for everybody who's going to be listening to this show, just let us know your name, uh, the name of your company, and your role there, and then maybe uh, what your favorite place to travel to in the world is. So just a very simple, easy question. <laughs> no problem. So my name is John Pearson. I'm the owner and founder of Servant Coffee, based here in Denver, Colorado. And we've been in business for about uh, two and a half years now. So um, let's see, travel. That's always a hard question because my wife is actually a travel agent and we love to travel. So Anna, uh, pretty much anywhere in the UK is our favorite because we spent the first five and a half years of our marriage uh, living in London. So I love to go to crazy exotic places, but going back to London is just so sentimental for me and my family. So we love it there. Well, I had a ulterior motive for asking that question because I knew that that's what your wife did. <laughs> and since we're right at the beginning of the show and everyone's still listening, uh, I want to make sure that we shout out Purposeful Wanderings and I'll link to that in the show notes. Uh, cool. is the name of the, the company I believe your wife works with. That's right. And I was reading through it and just kind of learning that story uh, earlier before the show. Really interesting for anyone who also likes to travel, which a lot of coffee people do. Totally. Let's, uh, let's kind of go back in time a little bit, John. I really wanted to learn a little bit more about you, uh, specifically kind of if you had any sort of first experiences with coffee that maybe foretold this future in which you owned a coffee company. Yeah, definitely. Um, so a little of my background, and I would say the first time from a coffee experience perspective was I was drinking office coffee in corporate America, and my first cup was about, I would say, 26 years old. So I didn't drink coffee when I was younger, and it was more cream and sugar with a little dash of coffee in there. So... <laughs> 
you kind of, I kind of grew up in that office environment with very cheap coffee, but Hey, you know, it got us through the day and gave us that little caffeine boost that we needed. And so, you know, I think my road with coffee has been an evolution over time. So sometimes I can relate a lot to our office clients because I used to drink, you know, very, you know, low end coffee. So there's something out there for everyone, honestly, when it comes to coffee. So that was kind of my first experience with it. And it kind of grew from there and evolved over time, you know, into the, into the specialty coffee world. Where in the world were you? You, you? you obviously don't have a British accent, so I'm guessing you moved to, to England at some point. Where were you in corporate America and what were you doing uh, before this coffee career started? Yeah, so I spent the first, um, coming out of college, um, I was actually a mechanical engineer leaving university in Texas. Uh, I grew up most of my life in Houston. I went to Texas A&M for undergrad, did engineering there came back to Houston and worked in the energy industry. And I worked for the same company for 15 years. So my first 10 years were in Houston. Um, and then right around that same time is when I, I met Sarah and we got married. And two months after getting married, we moved overseas and I got transferred over to London. So we were in London just over five years before I left that one company. And then that was kind of the transition point taking a little bit of a sabbatical and traveling with the kids, just thinking about, you know, what we were going to do next. And that's how we kind of landed into the, into the coffee world. Well, that's a, that's an interesting thing is that you left your job trying to figure out where you were going next. What was the tipping point that made you think not only opening your own business, which is, a, is its own challenge, but opening one in coffee was the thing that you wanted to do. Yeah, it was not immediate. I mean, I actually left my company thinking I would stay in the in the energy industry. I just kind of wanted to work for a smaller company. And so thinking about that and um, taking a little bit of time away, I was always a lover of coffee as a consumer. I loved, I kind of, like I said before, evolved kind of over time into what I was drinking and what I liked. And then living in London was, you know, really transformational just in terms of the style, because it's so much more of an espresso-based culture, you know, in, in the UK and in Europe versus in the US where we drink a lot more drip coffee. And so that's where I think a lot of the change, you know, was happening. And I kind of joke with my wife, I think I threw her for a loop, that I told her when I left that I would never be an entrepreneur. <laughs> I always wanted to work for a smaller company, but I never really wanted to start something on my own. But there, you know, plans change and, and things evolve. But I think the tipping point, which kind of hopefully answers your question more directly, is that when we landed back in the U.S. and we decided we were going to go move back to the U.S., we had a bit of time until we were closing on our house in Denver, which we had chosen. And so we decided, let's go to Columbia because my wife wanted to see it from a tourism perspective. She was getting more and more requests. And I really wanted to go experience coffee at origin. I mean, I really needed to understand the agricultural side more if this was something I wanted to do. And so we did that with our kids. We took our two young kids down to Columbia. We were there about two, two and a half weeks, stayed on two different coffee plantations and and really just tried to be a sponge and soak up as much information as we could. And I just, I really fell in love with what the service of kind of this next wave of coffee was bringing to the world. So more transparency, more direct relationships with 
either the farmer or the co-op that you're sourcing from. And I just thought, man, this could really make a difference in people's lives. And so that's kind of the evolution of Servant Coffee and where we got the name was that we always felt like we need that daily reminder to serve other people first before ourselves. And I need that on a constant, you know, on a daily basis. So it helps me a lot as I approach work. That's really interesting. I don't want to uh, kind of hammer you with this kind of question, but I don't want to lose this little bit of thread either where you made a promise to your wife that you weren't going to be an entrepreneur, that you weren't going to start your own thing. And something changed to make you think, not only can I do this, but I can convince her that it's a good idea. I mean, obviously you wanted to bring coffee and this idea of, of serving others uh, into your company, but what made you decide to do that for yourself instead of just getting a job in coffee or working for another great roasters? I mean, Denver is uh, famous for having great coffee. I go to Denver a couple times a year just to drink beer and coffee. So yep. what made you decide if I'm going to do this, I'm doing it for me? Well, I think there was kind of a two-stage process. One, I think I'm still daily trying to convince my wife that this is a great <laughs> idea. <laughs> uh, but she has she has been an amazing rock and level of you know support uh, for serving coffee, and has been involved in in different stages of the of the growth of the business. But so I, I genuinely believe that you know both we each have our own company, but they're both our companies really at the end of the day because that's how we look at it. But you know, I think the decision to really start my own thing, I gave myself, once we moved to Denver, I kind of said, okay, we sort of moved here in like mid-September. And I said, I'm going to give myself basically until the holidays to decide what we're going to do and whether that was going to try to apply and work at one of the local roasters first to learn the industry or to jump out and do our own thing. And so I always thought if I found the right culture and the right fit and, you know, the right owner that I would potentially do that. Um, but I just spent literally that time from, from sort of mid September up until Christmas time of that first year here in Denver, just doing as much research as I possibly could. And I almost met mo I met almost all of the owners of the local coffee roasters here in Denver and they were phenomenal. I mean, everybody, I couldn't believe how open of an environment it was. Everybody told me what worked well, what didn't work well, you know, whether or not to get into retail, <laughs> which is always a, which is always a really interesting point, but in just the challenges really of, of running a roastery and, and setting it up and, and doing everything. And so I had a local connection when we were in Columbia as well to a guy who was from Columbia, but was living in Denver and was a little bit involved in, in kind of the, the, the industry and was also selling tea. And so that relationship fostered a lot of this development from the ground up. And he said, you know, it was kind of a lot of his recommendations that I relied on. I said, well, I'm thinking about doing this. Do you want to, do you want to give me a hand? And, and he said, yes. And so we were kind of off and running at that point. And, and, and there probably was one or two roasteries that I could have seen myself working at, but, you know, I think at that point I just felt very compelled to jump off and get rolling and and do my own thing. So I had a vision already for kind of what, you know, the brand would look like and what the feel of the company would look like. And so I just think I, I, there was a huge amount of, I felt like we needed to just take ownership from day one. And I always felt like I was the worst. I was like, you know, everybody's critic, right? I think a lot of us walk into coffee shops and we, or we walk into bakeries or we walk into any sort of like 
food service and we're always thinking critically about, oh, I would change this. I wouldn't do that. And, and I said, well, I'm, I think I'm done with that. You know, I'm going to do it, you know, the way I, the way, you know, that we want to, and, and we'll see if it's successful. So I think there was just, there was that jump off point that I was just ready to do it. Uh, my wife has told me many times that I have ruined the experience of going to restaurants for her because when I walk in, that's the first thing I'm doing is looking around with a critical eye. And it doesn't mean that I don't appreciate the work that's being done or how great it is. It's just those are the things I see first after spending so many years trying to fix those things in places that I, I was working in. You mentioned uh, wholesale and retail. You do have a cafe, although I will say you're, you open late, which is why I didn't get a chance to visit while I was in Denver recently, later in the morning, at least, than your, your neighbors. But you, you clearly do both. What made you decide to go with a place that people can come and visit as well as wholesale? So our, our thing is a little bit misleading, honestly, because when you fill out, there's a little thing with Google. Um, when we first launched... So we have a space on Santa Fe in between second and third, and that's our headquarters and roastery and fulfillment location. And we don't have a servant coffee branded retail location yet. However, at the roastery, we have a little tasting room in the front that if you were looking at the pictures, it looks like it's a retail outlet, but we are not zoned for actual retail. So we don't sell cappuccinos and lattes there. Great to know. I'm glad I didn't uh, drive over then. But what's funny now is that after a couple of years now, you kind of built up a lot more in your Google search deal. So when people, we get people that walk in the front door every two to three days now. And they're like, oh, really? Yes. Can we get a cappuccino? I definitely thought you did. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah. But you weren't the only one. I will say I was traveling for about eight weeks and I went to at least three roasters, like physically walked in the door expecting to get coffee. And had to have them tell me, uh, we sorry, we're, we don't do that here. And to anyone listening, if that happens to you, I don't know why I looked over at my microphone. There's nobody here in the closet with me, but instinctive. But if you if that happens to you, ask the people there, where do they get coffee in the morning, if not their own roastery? Because they probably know what's around. And I found some great coffee shops that way. Yep. Then your focus is wholesale. You were not only jumping into a new industry, starting a new business, you're living in a new city, you have uh, your Columbia connection, and you went out and aggressively are meeting other roasters. How did you start getting clients? How did people start finding out about you? What was your your process for that? I walked in their front door, honestly. (laughs) It was about as simple as that. And Sarah and I, you know, one of the blessings that we had from day one is that I think anytime you start any type of entrepreneur reaches out and starts a new business, but typically if it's a consumer product, you know, you just immediately go to your connections. And a lot of that is friends and family. And we feel so blessed to have really great friends and family. And everybody has been so supportive. And I mean, I really feel like your growth in that first year is just so much word of mouth. I mean, your, your own effort, puts a lot into it, but you have to do a lot of things. You know, you can't spend all your time driving around and looking for new clients. I mean, you have a new facility and you have inspections and you just have market. I mean, you have so many different things you're dealing with. So, you know, that early support is what really helped get us off the ground. 
you know, it was a lot of, you know, just hustling, you know, at the, at the end of the day. So we have a lot of direct consumers as well. They go directly to our website. Obviously we, we did no marketing. I mean, I spent no dollars on marketing for the first year and a half effectively. So a lot of it was word of mouth and just getting the, getting the word out. And then obviously we launched in late 2019. So it was like October, November, 2019. So five months later, the pandemic hits and some of the wholesale clients that we'd gotten on board were offices and churches and that coffee consumption went to zero overnight. So we were faced with some serious challenges, you know, so I've learned wholeheartedly as an entrepreneur, you have to embrace change. You can have a plan, you can have a good solid business plan, but you have to be able to accept change, I feel like at all times. And so we kind of had to pivot at that point and I always thought we would go into grocery at some point, but it would be way further down the line. And the pandemic was just brought out that, hey, this is where the whole consumer, you know, this is where everybody's going. You know, everybody's going to grocery stores because it's the only place that's open. And so that was a huge lesson for us is just, you know, jumping off and changing course. And we got really lucky. We, the buyer for the region of Whole Foods was living in Denver and I got connected to him somehow just by calling him up and, we sent them their coffee and three days later they accepted us. So, wow. Uh, and about six months later we were on the shelf. So it takes a long time from an approval perspective, but that was a huge help to our business. And so it's kind of finding that, that balance between, you know, what we call retail or, or what would I say like a direct consumer model where they're buying directly from your website and and, and true wholesale, you know, to cafes and uh, offices, churches, this type of thing. So Knowing that that's been your process so far and you pivoted kind of early in the pandemic, I think it's great that a lot of groceries, Whole Foods included, are offering local coffees at their groceries. Even large chains, you can generally find a local coffee if that is where you're buying coffee. I always like it when people go right to the source, but you know, it's still still sales to that business. So that's great. What do you see for the future of of the brand or of the company? Is there going to be a retail cafe someday? Is it a bigger footprint in grocery? You know, where do you see this expanding out to or not for that matter? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, right now we are really content kind of with what we're doing. We feel like there's still a lot of runway. I love that we are very focused on on roasting and bringing a great product to the market. And at the end of the day, I want to make sure that we deliver value to our clients. You know, I think a lot of people realize, I think they're willing to spend a little extra on a bag of coffee if they feel like you're delivering value within that. And so that's kind of my core message to our team that we're trying to live out right now. And I still think we have a significant amount of runway uh, to do that. I certainly haven't ruled out retail, but right now we're not really actively looking at that, but that doesn't mean to say that if a great opportunity came up, we wouldn't maybe jump at it. So again, I think you do have to be open to change, but it changes your lifestyle too. I mean, there are costs that come along with that. And I've learned that from some of our good friends here in Denver who, you know, are, are running their roastery and running a couple of retail outlets and, you know, all of a sudden your weekends change a lot. <laughs> so <laughs> I think, you know, you just have to be prepared for that. And having two young children, I really value my time with them on the weekends. And so that has always taken priority for me is being with my kids on the weekends 
Um, they're both now in, in elementary school, so we don't see them, you know, that much during the day, during the week, obviously. But, you know, as they get older, you know, things will, you know, tend to change and, and we'll see, you know, I think, you know, I think there's a good, the retail business in Denver is pretty strong. And what I love about Colorado is it's full of a lot of people that like to support local businesses. So that's always a positive. I'm struck. There's a, a photo on the wall behind you, I believe from, is that Brazil? Yep. Correct. Yep. I'm struck by how much it looks like your logo at least in layout of the, what I believe is like a, a horned goat on top of a mountain. It kind of has a similar vibe to it. How did you come up with the branding design of your company and, and how does that play into the servant concept if it does? Yeah, let's see. Okay. So the picture first is, um, those come from my days back in energy. And even though I was based in Houston, we were a pretty a large firm across the world. And so I did a lot of traveling to a, a lot of our major facilities. And so I would go to Rio, you know, once to twice a year. And I loved it there. I mean, it's really dynamic. It's really fun. And there's always every Sunday, there's this, uh, there's an art festival. I think it's in Ipanema um, where all the local artists come out and they display their works and, and you go down there. And so I bought this and then brought it back and had it mounted here just because I loved, I love the black and white and the shade, but that's the, that's kind of the coastline of, of Rio de Janeiro, which I still think is one of the most beautiful in the world. So um, I've had that, I've had that picture for quite a long time now. And I think it's just irony, you know, that it looks a little similar to our, <laughs> to our logo. So I did work with kind of a design firm when we were building out the brand and the color palette, the feel and all that kind of stuff, because I am at heart, not a creative person. I am more of an engineer and I would say more kind of like business analyst, you know, strengths. Um, I'm not a creative design person. So I knew I always needed help, you know, from a professional firm to help with, with doing all the assets of the company. So we worked together on that collectively. We told them who we, who we are, what we represent. And then they started working on the feel of the brand until we got to something that we agreed upon. And that was a really cool process because I got to see some guys in action do things that I just had no idea about. So when we found that when they were working on the logo, I was always really critical about that because I believe I'm really tied in with the logo. I was like, I really want the logo to be something very eye catching and cool because I just love being able to put the logo on things, but have it be subtle. You know, I, I'm not as big a fan of like putting, a big brand all over a t-shirt. I'd rather have something small that kind of represents who we are and, and not have it be overwhelming. So they, I told them the only stipulation, I'll let you guys do whatever you want with the logo. The only stipulation I have is not to use any animals. I'm not really big on animals and logos. <laughs> and they were like, okay, yeah, we understand that. No problem. We come to the meeting, design meeting, Sarah, Sarah my wife is with me and they show us 12 logos and kind of talk through the intricacies. And they did a lot of play on the S and C and, and that kind of stuff. And, and we're sitting there and there's this like, you know, animal one up in the corner and Sarah and I look at each other and we're like, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I like that one the best. <laughs> <laughs> well, it worked. I know my, I was looking through your website uh, the other day and my wife kind of looked over my shoulder and saw like some of your t-shirts and, and hoodies and things. And she's like, Oh, I like those. She's like, do they have good coffee? Like, would you be okay if we got some? And I was like, well, I haven't had their coffee yet, but we'll, uh, you know, let me talk to John and see if he's a good guy. We'll see if we can 
Well, don't worry. We'll be sending you free coffee. <laughs> I've got extra. No, 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 no. That, that's not my pitch here. I'm just saying the design worked, that she was oh, ready right. to buy it <laughs> based on just looking over my shoulder. Well, nice, I'll make nice. sure that I uh, post photos of kind of something similar to what you have in the background there and then the logo and people can kind of decide for themselves if maybe that sunk into your subconscious somewhere. Cool. How has the, uh, the coronavirus been treating your company? I'm assuming in the beginning it was mostly just you and, and support from your family and, you know, roasting coffee and you mentioned going and being the sales and bringing in people. How did you kind of function your business during the coronavirus early days before we understood a little bit better about how to interact with the world? Yeah. I mean, I kind of guess I gave you a little bit of the one story there where we sort of pivoted and went into grocery much earlier than I ever expected. I mean, I was also not sure whether we'd ever go into grocery, but, you know, pandemic was something that changed the world and the way you looked at the world. So, you know, we really had to think differently. It was a blessing and a curse for us. You know, the one thing I think is if we had a bigger direct consumer brand where people were drinking at home, I think it would have been a massive gift because everybody started ordering more coffee. But we were so young that we didn't have thousands of clients ordering coffee at home. We maybe had like a hundred or something like that. So that consumption definitely helped, you know, but, but people drinking one extra bag, you know, of coffee at home is not going to, it's not going to change your business overnight. So we really just completely had to think differently. So the blessing side of it is that we were very small. We didn't have a large overhead. Obviously we're paying rent on our space, but I did not have a lot of employees and I didn't have any cafes that I had to shut down. So in those regards, I would say we were lucky for that. So we really buckled down, brought our cost level structure down, and then went out and tried to get, you know, new business where we could, you know, so it was obviously a little bit more limited uh, during that time. And the growth was a little bit slower than what we anticipated. But because I kind of believe in a very low operating cost model, and then building upon that, we were lucky to kind of make it through uh, without a lot of, you know, and I didn't really even have to cut back the guy's hours that I had. I had about two guys working for me at the time and really didn't have to trim them back much at all. I just filled them with other stuff to do. So we were lucky that we were small and it, it didn't drown us at the time. And we were always being labeled in food production. And because you're in food production, we were really never in doubt. I don't think we were ever that in danger of being shut down. Because like, like you've seen, like our roastery, we're not open to the public. So obviously we weren't welcoming people in at all. Our team were taking the necessary precautions uh, in the facility. But in a lot of ways, it's safer because you're just interacting with the same people every day. You know, you're not acting, you're not relating, you're not interacting with a, with a diverse group of people every day. So, so we definitely had to think a little bit differently, but we were lucky to get through that. You mentioned earlier that that one of the things the coronavirus did is it changed how people looked at the world. You come from a fairly travel heavy background, both for work and then with your family and, and your wife is a travel agent. I want to know when I first reached out to you, you were traveling overseas somewhere. I'm wondering, you know, your thoughts on kind of the value of travel and how you see that differently now, as opposed to say two years ago when travel was really restricted. And if you've been on any origin trips or if that's part of kind of the future for you uh, in the coffee side of things. Yeah, I mean, I don't think, I mean, one of the things I think the pandemic showed us 
is I think in general, I think people, most people really appreciate and enjoy travel. I mean, my wife is, I think when you don't have something, it kind of shows you how much you miss it too. So for us, I don't, I don't think we really look at travel that differently. We just think about how quickly it can be taken away, you know? And so let's treasure and value the time that we do have to interact with the world. I think Sarah and I both are big believers that travel opens your eyes and it allows you to see and experience other cultures, which can give you a new perspective, you know? And I think new perspectives are always good, regardless of, you know, some are positive, some are negative, but it helps form a nice, uh, you know, a viewpoint of what other people face in the world. We're very blessed here in America to have a lot. Clearly, there are people struggling here too, without a doubt. You know, but life is very different when you go to Africa, which I spend a lot of time in, you know, in energy. And life's very different in India versus Europe and Asia. So I just love having those diverse experiences because it's definitely shaped the way I look at the world. So, I mean, I hope that answers your question. But yeah, it's, it's, and in, in, in terms of origin trips, I kind of set out a goal for our company that we do one origin trip at minimum a year. And hopefully we get to the point to do more, you know, but we have to balance that, you know, with, with being a small company as well. So, you know, the guys, they've already been to Guatemala this year. Sometimes I go, but honestly, what's more important to me is the team goes. You know, Sarah and I feel very lucky that we've been able to travel to a lot of these places. And so I want our guys who are the, you know, the real value behind our brand. I mean, I, I don't believe that Sir and Coffee is really mine. It's really the company. It's it's ours as a whole, you know, the collective union of us. So um, I want all of them to be to be vested in, in, in our success. And so our head of operations and our head of coffee, they went down to uh, Guatemala this year. And then our head of coffee, he went to Rwanda last year. So we, I'm a big believer that we have to foster and, and maintain, you know, those relationships at origin. I think it's the core of who we are. You know, I think there's a lot of, you know, lip service in coffee. You know, I think a lot of people write about origin stories, but when you ask them, have they been there? Have they met anybody? It, it sometimes is not what it seems, you know? So I want to make sure that we prioritize that and value that and, and I'm very open and honest with everybody that I say, we don't know every one of our producers. We want to, we would love to, and that can be very difficult to do and very expensive, you know? So there has to be a little bit of a balance, you know? So we're trying to make sure that we, that we do prioritize that in our business and we go to origin every year somewhere. Sure. In the same way that I, as a customer, am putting my trust in the roasters that I support or buy coffee from. Uh, I'm trusting that they're doing some of the work to figure out, you know, the the chain between them and and origin. You're also doing that with uh, perhaps a, a green buyer, salesman, or a company uh, that's sourcing coffee for you. And that just gr- is a growing trust that grows over time as you learn that people do things the way that match your values. You have a, a family, young kids. You mentioned, and you prioritize your weekends. I'm wondering how being an entrepreneur has impacted kind of the rest of your life as opposed to working for, uh, uh, I was going to say corporate overlord, but that's not what I meant, but, but for working <laughs> for a larger company, ha- has it been an, a good transition for you as a person and, you know, and for being around or for your family who are seeing you in a different way than maybe they did before? 
Yeah, it's definitely it's it's very much a different um, day to day routine, I would say. So overall, it's been an absolute net positive through and through. But that's not to say it didn't come with a, some real adjustment, especially in the first year. It might have actually prepared us for the pandemic much more than other people because, you know, it was over a solid year and a half that my wife and I had been more around each other and, and having our own businesses and a little bit more flexibility with time. And working from home so in a lot of ways that prepared us a lot for the pandemic we didn't really feel like our life changed that much compared to a lot of people that were out there and used to go into an office every day for you know eight to ten hours so it, it was definitely an adjustment you know i worked for a larger much larger company and in europe i traveled almost every week at least for one night so i was never gone for very long stints but i did do a lot of corporate travel so it was a big adjustment, being an entrepreneur, running my own business, and then not having to travel as much. But we really fell into a, I really feel like Sarah and I have got into a really good rhythm of kind of what our responsibilities were around the house and how we, I kind of took on a little bit more now being around more often so that it freed her up to do a little bit more work. And so, you know, we're always trying to find that right that right balance, you know, with the kids and, and, you know, at the end of the day, you know, our marriage, you know, our, our faith comes first, our marriage comes second, our third kids come third right there. So, you know, we just want to make sure we always are keeping our priorities straight, you know, work is down the list, um, no matter what, it, no matter what's going on. So we just try to remind ourselves of that even during, you know, tough times. So. Sure. Is there anything that we didn't kind of cover today that you want people to know about your coffee roastery, about your trajectory, uh, about what you're offering, you know, the rest of us, the world? Yeah, I mean, we are just, I mean, we, I really feel like we are a coffee company that is really trying to do things the right way. And we are always on the lookout for clients, you know, who want to get in line with our vision and, and support that. So I try to be, I'm a big believer that we should be open, honest, transparent, and just serve people well, you know? So we try to fit the model for what works at, at different clients, whether that's cafes or, or churches or offices or, you know, you know, direct consumer right to your household. So, you know, we try to be, you know, very available anytime people have questions. And so I really feel like we need to be a service company first. You know, so I've learned from some of the greatest companies that are out there. You know, my favorite, one of my favorite quotes is from the Zappos founder, Tony Shea, which I think he, he passed away recently, which is incredibly sad. But one of, I love his interviews. One person asked him, was like, what kind of shoes do you wear? If, you know, you're in this, you own this big, huge shoe company. And he goes, I really have one pair of shoes and I, I've had them for like five years. I really don't care about shoes at all. <laughs> and the guy goes, I mean, you must be kidding, right? Like you, you've got to have a closet. No, he's like, no, I really, I really don't care about shoes at all. I kind of fell into this business. I mean, I really feel like we're just a service. We're a service customer service company first who just happens to sell shoes on the side. And I just love that quote. I'm like, that's, that's what business is to me. You know, I think you have to service clients first and foremost and, and people can buy really good coffee in a lot of different places. So I never say that we're the best, but we want to serve people first and, if we can do that and relay the message and the value behind our brand, then, then I think that's a success, you know, at the end of the day. And so uh, we try to live that out all the way up and down our, our company from where we source at origin 
to how we service our clients, to how we support our employees, and also how we deliver back to our local community here in Denver. So if you want any information about the two charities, we support two local charities here in Denver that we have a huge heart for. They're doing great work. Um, that's Mile High Workshop and Providence Network. They're both under our community impact tag on our website. So um, you can read more information about there and we have links to go straight to their to their website. So we're always we always want to be a big advocate, you know, for those who are less fortunate than us. So And I'll make sure that those are linked in this podcast show notes wherever you're listening to the show um, and on the newsletter as well. Unlike Tony Shea, uh, I'm assuming you drink coffee regularly. You mentioned you, you enjoy a cup of coffee. Uh, you care about the coffee you're drinking, obviously. W- when you go out and get a cup of coffee somewhere, whether it's just for yourself or for research or it's a Saturday morning, what do you drink? My favorite drink by far is a flat white. And so I think I got so used to drinking those over in Europe. And I think we also get a little bit spoiled a lot of times because the baristas typically... And in a major city like like London, they're just it's amazing how many people are so gifted at being a barista. You know, I mean, I think the value behind that is just sometimes lost, you know. And so that's by far my my favorite uh, thing to drink and what I kind of compare uh, different coffee shops against because I like shorter drinks because I get so much more of the of the flavor and the variety of the espresso out. So that's that's by far those and cortados both. You know, they're not not that dissimilar, you know, so those are probably my two favorite to get. And yeah, if anybody ever reaches out to me, I mean, I always send people to to, to, to certain cafes around Denver. We have a lot of good roasters and a lot of good cafes here. So awesome. Um, well, I, John, I just really appreciate you being on the show, sharing, you know, some of your story and for putting, putting yourself out there and saying, this is what I can offer and what I can serve to the world. And Uh, with your company. So thanks for for doing that and for being here on Roast West Coast. Hey, thanks a lot, Ryan. I really appreciate it. And thank you again for having us on. Okay, to recap, nothing ever goes as planned, not even on podcasts. I made an assumption based on some Googling that Servant Coffee had a cafe, which they don't. And in the moment, in our interview, I had to adjust. It was a very small deviation in the grand scheme of things. John and his team had to make a much bigger adjustment, re-identifying who their customers were and how they could engage with them and new customers when the pandemic hit. Being a new and still small and nimble company enabled Servant to pivot, turning their wholesale sites toward the grocery chain markets, which wasn't something they were planning on doing at the time. For John and for all entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs, being willing to accept change as it comes is a key skill. Those perfect business plans don't always hold up in the real world. At Servant Coffee and for John's family, travel is important. It helps that his wife Sarah runs a travel agency, Purposeful Wanderings, link on roastwestcoast.com. For John, travel serves as a way to connect with other cultures, including the producers of the coffee his team roasts. It's why one of their company goals is to send the team on an origin trip at least once every year, which, if that's the case, I'll be following at Servant Coffee on Instagram, keeping an eye out for job openings. Thanks to John for taking the time to appear on the Roast West Coast Coffee podcast. The really lovely coffee he sent me 
and for sharing his story, which will no doubt inspire another entrepreneur listening to this show right now. Also, a big thanks to the rest of the show's roast industry partners, including Cafe La Terre, Steady State Coffee Roasting, Camp Coffee Company, Coffee Cycle Roasting, Ignite Coffee Company, Marea Coffee, Cape Horn Coffee Importers, Ascend Coffee Roasters, and Moster Coffee Company. I can't remind you enough to get your Mosterland Experience tickets now. Their anniversary is less than a month away. Details on MosterCoffee.com. The links to all of those businesses, as always, can be found on RoastWestCoast.com. Please check it out and subscribe to the newsletter. And I also need to thank this show's paid subscribers. You make this show happen. This show can be found wherever great podcasts are found, including Spotify, YouTube, and Apple Podcasts, where it really helps me out if you tap that five stars button. But the very best way to support is by joining those paid subscribers and following the newsletter on RoastWestCoast.com. Thank you all. Before I go, I want to send my thoughts out to everyone in Florida. I'm recording before we know the full details of what the impacts of Hurricane Ian are, but I know that I'm grateful my father, who lives in Cape Coral, Florida for half the year, was back in Wisconsin when the storm hit this morning. Because natural disasters don't discriminate. They just devastate. Fingers crossed, this storm ends up being more bluster than expected. This episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast is, was, has been written, produced, and recorded by me, Ryan Wolt. I hope this episode has found you happy, healthy, and with at least enough sanity to make it through the day. Always tip your baristas, and be sure to drink good coffee.